Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from Ansham at Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Ig as they talk about this week's Torah portion, the Etchanan, causeless hatred amongst brothers and sisters and the path to comfort. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Rabbi. How are you? Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. You were gone for how many weeks in Israel? Oh, gosh, almost, uh, almost three weeks. And it was amazing. I can't wait to hear about it. So um, tell me, you know, your big takeaway. What was your, you know, you've been many times. Uh, I'm guessing things are a little different right now. I've been to Israel many times, and this was um, a very different time in Israel. I, I haven't been to Israel since COVID, and um, I started out by being part of a rabbinic mission with APAC, actually, and talking about the power and possibility of bipartisanship in support of Israel at this time. Ooh, that seems like an ambitious journey. <laughs> it was. And that's a whole conversation for another day. But at the same time, we're dealing with the so-called judicial reform that's going on in the Knesset, which, as you know, and I think our listeners know, is a very controversial issue. Yep. And so Jan and I were witness to the marches in Jerusalem, which are now, I think, in their 28th week. And it is uh, something to behold. You see flags and chants, and you also see the police and horses and, and army personnel trying to manage the crowds. And so you kind of feel the tension in the air. And then Jan and I were in Cyprus for a few days, part of a vacation for us, which was really amazing. But we were leaving on Wednesday, Wednesday night. And so we had to fly back through Tel Aviv from Cyprus. And on Tuesday, the marchers, those who are trying to slow down this process in the Knesset, they were shutting down the country. And so major roadways around the country were being blocked by protesters. And that four o'clock on that Tuesday, they were going to shut down the airport. And so we didn't know if we were going to fly out and what was going to happen. Ultimately, we got out just fine. But that's part of the plan for the weeks to come. And so this is a pretty tense time in Israel. Yeah, I'm curious. Does it does it compare to anything you've seen in the United States before? I mean, we had moments of, of sort of national outrage and protests, but it seems, at least from reading the newspapers, that this, what's happening in Israel now is at another level compared to, say, you know, a few summers ago when we had the protests over the murder of George Floyd. It just seems like this is much broader and, and more powerful, what's happening there now. Is that correct? For sure. First of all, the protests for George Floyd, I would say that the, um, the greatest percentage of protesters were part of the progressive wing of this country. Would you agree mm -hmm. with that? Yeah, definitely. Well, in Israel, the protests that are taking place throughout the country are made up of the centrists of the country. There's not much of a left wing in Israel left, but you see people waving the Israeli flag. You see people in the army protesting. You see the most elite units, pilots, and their, their version of the Navy SEALs are all protesting and saying that they're not going to report to duty. And so the thing that I could compare this to, at least in my lifetime, is the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. because there you saw protests everywhere. And the kind of 
really emotional debate that went on at people's dinner tables and around the country that split families apart. You're seeing that in Israel, too, where relatives are talking to one another, where people are really um, bumping up against each other. And Jan and I were out to dinner, and we bumped into uh, Yossi Klein Halevi at the restaurant, who was nice enough to come during my 40th uh, anniversary to honor me and the congregation. And I have to say that he was positively despondent. Mm -hmm. And this is a guy who is center-right in Israel. Mm -hmm. He was uh, a person who often talked about the need for Israel to defend itself and was very critical. Israelis, of, of American Jews, I should say, being hypercritical of Israel. And he was saying that this is what a theocracy looks like, and we're seeing the beginnings of it. Right. But it was a very, very hard conversation. He said, you know, we need American Jews to raise their voices. And then you also have Danny Gordas, who I'm going to be interviewing on Yom Kippur for our break, who just came out with a new book on Israel, who also is center-right. And he is writing right now about the potential of a civil war. So these are people that you wouldn't expect this kind of what feels like it's hyperbolic, but they're saying we are right in it right now, and the country is on the verge of a civil war of, of sorts. And so that's very concerning. Yeah, and, you know, we, we hear warnings about the same kind of thing in the United States, that if we, if we take it for granted, if we allow our democracy to slip away bit by bit, you never know when it slips away to the point that, uh, that you lose it. And I think that you know, they've clearly reached that kind of a, of a precipice in Israel and doing something about it, which is encouraging because, you know, oftentimes democracy slips away and it's gone before you know it and it's too late to do anything about it. Absolutely. And look, remember that one of the differences between the United States and Israel is that the United States has a constitution. Mm -hmm. Israel does not have a constitution. They function off of basic laws. And so the Supreme Court in Israel plays a very different role because it gets involved in decision making. It can stop uh, legislation. It can stop the army if it feels like it is violating a basic law of human rights. And so the Knesset, the people in the Knesset are feeling like they have overstepped. And the Israeli public, at least those who are marching, are saying, look, this is our only voice against just giving the party in power the absolute power to do whatever it wants. But I guess what I think we should be focusing on right now is this civil war. Because you asked me a moment ago if I could remember a time in my life when I saw something similar to this in the United States. I talked to Vivian about the Vietnam War. But in Jewish history, we have been to this movie before. We have seen times when the Jewish people have turned against itself with disastrous results. Danny Gordis wrote recently about the fact that after King David, his kingdom, which reached the, the largest boundaries of Israel, that lasted about 70 years. Mm -hmm. You have the Maccabees, and they win a war and Jews have independence, that lasts for about 70 years. And in each case, what brings the Jewish people down in those moments is the infighting amongst Jews. And the second temple is destroyed in the year 70, and that is cataclysmic. And 
the day on which we are commemorating Tisha B'Av just took place last week. Tisha B'Av commemorates the destruction of the first temple, the second temple, etc. And the rabbis tell us that the first temple was destroyed because of Avodah Zarah, because of uh, idol worship, because the people turned against God and worshipped idols. But there is a comment that the second temple was destroyed because of what's called Sinat Chinam, which is really causeless hatred. It's simply hating someone in your heart. And it's an interesting term. It would be say, okay, so you could say that it was hatred of one another. But the fact that it says causeless hatred, I think really bears examination. Because it's like saying, I hate you, not because of who you are, but what you represent. I can't hear you. I can't see you. I can't be part of you. I wonder how that resonates with you. Perhaps it's human nature, but we have a tendency to turn people into the other and to not even talk to them or think about them or consider their views anymore. And we're seeing that perhaps more than ever in American society right now. So I can relate to that, the, the thought that we are you know, dividing ourselves for, for no real reason, except that we've been worked um, into a lather or to think that it's in our best interests, that it makes us feel better or makes us feel superior, that it's easier sometimes to blame everything on the enemy than to think about actually working together on solving problems that affect all of us. If you see a person walking down the street with a red baseball cap, and they're not close enough for you to see whether mm -hmm. it says, make America great again, or it says, um, I don't know, the Life Cincinnati is good. Reds. Well, Cincinnati Reds, <laughs> right, right, you know, whatever. Yeah, right. You can't see that, okay? What's your reaction? What is going to be the reaction of people who are more liberal in this country? How are you going to respond? Even where the person is really close enough for you to see. So, too, if, you, if a person happens to be wearing a rainbow T-shirt, right, and you see that across the way, now, maybe that person is making a statement about uh, the LGBTQ community, or maybe the person learned to tie-dye the night before. Right. But you don't know that. But yet it's causeless hatred. That's simply saying, I can't deal with you. I can't talk to you. And that's what's happening in Israel today. And what the rabbis are saying is this is a warning. You can, you know, the, the, the greatest threat to the Jewish people is ourselves you know it's that pogo line i met the enemy and it's me mm -hmm. right that's very real i think that the tradition does something really interesting here the shabbat following tisha b'av which is this shabbat has a name it's called shabbat nachamu the sabbath of comfort where we begin seven weeks of comfort to the jewish people um leading up to rosh hashanah leading up to the new year. What I've been thinking about since coming back from Israel is that in the same way that God didn't destroy the second temple, but allowed the second temple to be destroyed because we were our own worst enemies due to Sinat Chinam, causeless hatred, so that the destruction is on our hands, so too the repair work has to come from us. The comfort has to come from within. If we're going to find some sort of rapprochement, it's going to have to come from us. So I'm wondering how you respond to that. How do we find our way 
at a time like this. What do you think are the keys? Wow. I mean, that's a great question. And I would like to think, especially in Israel, that religion might be the key because, I mean, isn't that the whole point of religion, really? Isn't it loving one another and loving uh, God and loving, uh, you know, seeing our our connections rather than our divisions? I mean, isn't that a big part of what of why we get into this this, this religion stuff in the first place? And yet if, if Israel, uh, a nation, you know, founded around religion can't do that, boy, that's really disturbing and depressing. I guess that's the first thing that comes to mind is, as you're saying, the idea is to begin listening and loving each other, then the Torah would seem like a good a good tool for that. You started at 30,000 feet. Religion should be able to do this. but And I was thinking to myself, well, what does that exactly mean, mm-hmm. right? How do you get there? How do you figure out what religion offers? And I think the most basic religious concept is v'yahavta, Love your brother, your neighbor, as yourself. Right. And I think that that's where it starts. And what's so interesting is that the is the Torah reading for this week, which is always the Torah reading for the Shabbat following Tisha B'Av, features Shema, Yisrael, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad, and the V'yahavta. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I think that that's the key to beginning. If I can't hear you because I hate you for what you see, because you're wearing a hat I don't like, or you're wearing a T-shirt that threatens me or my children in my mind, I can't talk to you. I can't hear a thing you're saying. All I want to do is tell you what I think or why I think you're my threat or why I think you're wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Or why I think you're out of your mind for taking whatever position you take. I can't get past that. How can I just pause long enough to hear what you're saying and breathe? Now, there's some people that you can't talk to. You know, I'm not going to sit down and have a conversation with a neo-Nazi. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to talk to somebody who wishes my destruction, right? I'm not doing that because I think there are limits. But in the other 99 and 9 tenths percent of the cases, I can take a breath and listen. I can catch myself, you know, there's a moment, at least I can speak for myself, and maybe you could, you, you would agree, that I stop listening. Mm-hmm. I can feel myself stopping. I say, How can this person take this stance? That's a very dangerous thing to do. How can I listen, Shema, and remind myself, you will love your neighbor as yourself, because if you love God, then you have to love humanity. I can't, how do I know I love God? Because I love humanity. I love the world. I am making a positive contribution to the world. Now, that's a whole sermon in three sentences. But why don't you, why don't you respond? Yeah, well, you know, what worries me is that even in Israel, among Jews who share the same set of religious beliefs, they can't speak to each other right now. They are at crossed swords. They are, you know, see, each, see one another as the enemy. If among the, the Jews of Israel... We are so divided. How can we hope to you know, to repair the divisions between the the, the Jews and and others, or just anybody? Uh, that's that's what bothers me. It makes it it makes me feel hopeless. It's interesting that you said that, because you're a biographer, you're a writer, but in many ways you're a historian. What I love about your work, amongst other things, there are many things I love about your work, is the fact that you contextualize things really beautifully. You never just 
parachute in and out, but you give context to what's going on in your subject's life, right? Mm -hmm. That's part of the skill of a biographer. I can't understand a person unless I understand them in context. So too, I think, we have to learn from our history. We commemorate Tisha B'Av every year as a warning. If you don't heed this, understand that Jewish communities have really gone right off the cliff, right? You can yeah. do that. And God's not going to stop you, mm-hmm. right? This isn't a cartoon where God's going to reach down from heaven and just say, whoa, let me tell you what you're about, what's about to happen. You're going to be off the cliff and you won't even know that you can't turn back when that happens. So that's part of the problem that we face. And I'm hoping, hoping and praying that in Israel, we're going to be able to slow this legislation down and have a larger conversation about a constitution or some form of the Israeli form of a constitution and, you know, pull back from the brink. But the only way to get there is to understand that it's in our hands to be the comforter. Each one of us has to be somebody who's not adding fuel to the fire, but adding comfort to the conversation. Yeah, and listening, because the conversation has to involve listening and not just um, this attitude that we're, that we're foes, that we are, you know, at, at cross purposes. We've got to get some listening. In the ending, I would ask our listeners to take some of this to their own communities. It could be your family, it could be your friends. But to begin this conversation about comfort, what would that mean in your life? What would it mean in your family's life? Where, Who am I at odds with in my world? And where can I find some sort of middle ground? Thanks, Jonathan.